Here we go. All right. So with that, let me first um, let me first start off with a word of prayer. Pray. Father, I thank you for tonight. I thank you, Lord, that we were able to come here and just open up your word and read about who you are. It's, it's amazing to, to be able to come draw closer to you and see how you speak to us through your word, how your word never changes and you never change. Therefore, we can trust what you say in scripture. Oh, Lord, it's so good to know that you care about us and that you died for us and that you rose again so that we can be saved. Lord, may we take hold of that truth and may we then come now to your word in anticipation to get to know you better, get to know you more intimately. Thank you, God, for your grace. Be with us here. Speak through me. May your spirit dwell in this room and speak through your word. I pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. See if this works. All right, there we go. Cool. Um, the title of today's message is called The Divine Mystery. The Divine Mystery. We are currently in Ephesians chapter 3, so why don't you guys turn there with me now. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, starting from verse 1. I'm going to go ahead and read this whole passage for us. This is God's word. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. And when, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it, has, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of the God's grace, which was given to me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal promise that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is for your glory begin, let's take a look at verse 1. Verse 1 here. I want us to see here what we're reminded of. We're reminded here in verse 1, first and foremost, that Paul is the one writing this letter. Paul is the one writing this letter to the Ephesians. And it says here that Paul is a prisoner of Christ. Prisoner for Christ. And what we know about this context, the background of this, is that Paul indeed was in prison when he was writing this letter. He was in prison in Rome. Uh, this letter, along with, I believe, 
uh, four other letters, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, were what we call the prison epistles. Um, and they, they're all written during the time when Paul was in prison in Rome. Right. And, and we know about this account because we know in the last chapter of Acts, Paul was arrested, um, taken onto a ship, going to Rome, so that he can appear in court before Caesar. And while he was in prison, once he got to Rome, the account of Acts ended, but we know that he was writing letters because of these letters that exist right here in our Bibles today. And this means that Paul continued to do ministry while he was in prison. And so here Paul's writing to the Ephesians. And what we know about Ephesians, we know here because in verse 1 it says, He's writing on behalf of you Gentiles. Meaning, here the Ephesian church consists mostly of Gentile believers. Now we have to, we have to think about this term. Because back then, Paul was a Jew. And when Jews say you Gentiles, they usually say it you know, in a derogatory manner. It's like, you Gentiles. You know, there's a snarkiness to them. But Paul isn't saying it that way. Paul... Paul meant this in a positive way. Because back in chapter 2, what we just finished um, preaching on months ago, you guys remember, is that Paul spent time from chapter 2, verse 11 to 22, explaining how Gentiles and Jews are now one in Christ. Meaning they are now being built together into one body. And so here, Paul just finished a whole explanation of that. How Gentiles are now in the faith. And he says, beginning off in verse 1, For this reason, for this very reason, how we, us, are now one. How we are all now united in Christ. How we are all now created anew in one body. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. Now, that's verse 1. And all of a sudden, in verse 2, Paul does what he normally does. He goes on a tangent. I, I, I don't know why he continues to do, does this. If I actually met Paul in real life and I was talking to him, I, I would probably get frustrated with this guy. He probably never get to his point. You know, he's probably going on tangents nonstop. I, I don't know. I, I don't understand his logic here, but he, he just kind of jumps to a different topic. I think he was just reminded, probably from the phrase when he wrote A Prisoner for Jesus Christ, and then suddenly he just was reminded of this whole aspect of teaching that he wants to talk about. And starting from verse 2 all the way to verse 13, Paul, Paul's thought flows into this one particular area talking about this mystery of God. And it isn't until verse 14, which we'll cover next time we go through Ephesians, um, Verse 14 is actually Paul continuing the thought from verse 1. So what we're going to look at tonight is actually more like a parenthesis. It's a separate thought apart from his natural flow of verse 1. Now look at me with verse 13 of Ephesians 3. In verse 13, we have here the goal of the passage. Paul writes, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Now in the Greek, from verse 2 to verse 13, is actually, well from verse 2 to verse 12, is actually one whole phrase without a break. Alright, from, from verse 2 to verse 12, is one whole phrase without a break. 
And then verse 13 is the conclusion of that. What we have here is a conditional statement. Um, if you guys know your grammar, we, in verse 13 is the, is the apodosis, uh, meaning is the conclusion of this, of this condition. And then from verse 2 to 12 is the, is the apodosis, uh, which is the condition itself. In other words, in other words, verse 13 here, Paul says, I do not want you to lose heart over what I am suffering for you. And what we need to be asking when we read verse 13 is why did Paul say this? What led Paul to say, I ask you not to lose heart? What's the foundation behind that? And that's what we'll see from verse 2 to verse 13. Again, I want us to keep in mind the context. Paul's in prison while he's writing this. And yet, while he's writing this in prison, he's saying that he is suffering right now, but don't lose heart over the fact that I'm suffering, over the fact that I'm in prison. Don't lose heart. Don't be discouraged. Instead, rejoice. Rejoice in this. And I'm asking, why, Paul? Why should I rejoice? And we'll seek this answer from verse 2 to 12. Here, in verse 2 to 12, we'll find four reasons, four pillars of truth that help ground us in our walks with Christ. First thing we will see is the mystery. Right, when I read through this, that's one theme that pops out to you, the mystery. It's the first word that we see in verse 3. The mystery was made known to me. And in verse 4, it is called the mystery of Christ. What is this mystery? What are we talking about here? What is Paul talking about here with mystery? Are we suddenly reading Nancy Drew novel? <coughs> is this Scooby-Doo all over again? Or Sherlock Holmes, we called him in, help us solve this? What is this mystery? <laughs> and so, let's take a look at this. Mystery is not an uncommon word for Paul. Paul uses this, this term a lot. Throughout different letters, Paul uses the word mystery. He uses specifically to talk about the divine will of God throughout all of history. The mystery, Paul uses mystery to talk about the divine will of God throughout history. We see this in Romans 16, verse 25, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7, in Colossians 1, 26, and many other places. And so right away, one of the first things that we have to understand about a mystery is that usually a mystery, there's something that's, that's hidden, right? There's something that's hidden about a mystery. Something that's, that we don't typically know what's going on, that we cannot see clearly. And what we see here, what's hidden in all the ages, when Paul says in verse 5, that this, his, this mystery was not made known to the sons of men in other generations. He's talking about the Old Testament. He's talking about the Old Testament here. I mean, ever since the fall of man, God's plan of salvation has been shrouded in mystery. Let's take, think about it for a moment. Genesis 3.15 says, God spoke to the serpent. And this is what he says in Genesis 3, chapter 15. He said, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you 
shall bruise his heel. We hear this, and we know what this means, because, you know, we have entire scriptures telling us what this means. But imagine if you're Adam and Eve, or Adam or Eve, not both of them. If you're, imagine if you're Adam or Eve, and you hear this curse given to the serpent, and you're just, I mean, what, what goes on in your head? You must, I can't imagine. If I was Adam, I'll just be like, um, God, do you want me to you know, step on the serpent right now and fulfill your promise? You know? What, what, what does God mean by this? And it must be confusing. It must be weird. It's a mystery. So when we get to Abraham, God speaks to Abraham, appears to Abraham, and he makes this promise. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 2 to 3, um, God says this. He says, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now again, think about how Abraham must be hearing this promise. I mean, pretty much God is telling him, go to a foreign land, and I will give you the world. When you, when you do that, when you go to this foreign land, when you, and you take their land from them, right? You take the land away from the Canaanites. Then I will make your name great. Who says that kind of stuff, guys? Who says that kind of stuff? You know who says that kind of stuff? Sith Lords. <laughs> right? Imagine. What do what, what Sith Lords say? Come to the dark side. <laughs> and together we will rule the universe. I'm not okay. I'm not saying God is dark in His intentions, <laughs> but just, just, just for a moment, think about what happens when when an offer like that is given to you. Think about how weird that sounds, how mysterious that sounds. It's a mystery, and we see this over and over again in the Old Testament. The laws of Moses, they're just shadows of a future salvation. The covenant with King David is just a symbolic hope for, mes- for a messianic king. God, God reveals his plan slowly over time. And all he keeps telling Israel and his people to do, all he keeps telling them is say, trust in me. Put your faith in me. Trust me. Thank you. <laughs> hope in me. Hope in me. That, that's all God is saying. That's all God is saying. Guys, do you realize that today we as a church in the New Testament have a greater revelation of this mystery than Israel did? That we understand that this mystery is a mystery of Christ. That's why Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, he calls this riches of the glories of the mystery, which is Christ in you. This mystery is about Christ. And so what we see here in the New Testament, what we see in the New Testament is that this mystery that was once hidden in the Old Testament has now been revealed to all of us because Christ appeared on the scenes. Jesus Christ is the key to all this. 
Now we have to understand then what does this mean for us? Because you see, this, this, this mystery was, was indeed hidden to those in the Old Testament. But we know those Old Testament saints, God declared them as faithful. Right? In Hebrews chapter 11, it's a whole hall of fame of the Old Testament saints saying that they were faithful even though they did not know what was prepared for them. They believed and trusted in the Lord. How much more then should we, the church, whom this revelation is given to, put our faith in God? You see, even though we have more knowledge than the Old Testament people did, the key application is still the same. Put your faith in God. Now, in case, in the midst of all this, you missed it, Paul here gets very clear, very specific about what this divine mystery he's talking about here in Ephesians. And he says it straight out in verse 6. In verse 6, he says, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Here we see that the mystery that Paul here specifically wants the Ephesian church to know is that the mystery of this salvation is that it includes all people. Not just the Jews, but includes everyone. Jews and Gentiles, together as one. That we, as Gentiles, we are now fellow heirs, fellow members, fellow partakers of this promise. We have to keep in mind just how radical this is. This is no small thing, guys. This is no small thing. This is like the Germans and Jews now going to the same party after the Holocaust. This is, this is what it means to be reconciled together in Christ. God reconciled the hostility between all people. How does he do that? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15. In verse 15, and the second half of verse 15, it says that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. This is a new race, a new identity, a completely new person in Christ alone. This is important. <clears throat> We have to keep in mind here that Gentiles here are not being made into Jews. This is not what's happening here. It's both Gentiles and Jews being made into one new created man. The church. Christ. We are created anew, united as one under Christ. The great mystery that Paul here is speaking about is that we sinners once we who were once far off, we who were once children of wrath, we who were once sons of disobedience, we who were once rebellious brats, we are now drawn near to God as members of his household. We are now the body of Christ, the Son of God. And so that is the great mystery that's being revealed here now to us. And the next thing that we'll see in this passage is the messenger who carries this revelation to us. 
The mystery is revealed to us not directly from God, as if he spoke audibly. It's not a big voice in the sky. This mystery came through an appointed messenger. And here in this context, in Ephesians, the messenger is Paul, the great apostle. And there's a few things I want to note about Paul in this passage. First, I want us to see that Paul had a stewardship of this mystery. Verse 2 says that you have heard of the stewardship of God, you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me. So Paul received the stewardship. In verse 7, Paul writes, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. What is this grace? That, that, that Paul received? Verse 8, Paul clarifies this. And in verse 8, he says that this grace was given in order to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God. Paul here was commissioned to preach the gospel the Gentiles and to bring them into the fold of God. I want you guys to recognize a few key themes about the stewardship here. Right. First, notice that Paul doesn't call the stewardship a job. It's not a duty. It's not an obligation. Paul here calls it grace. He calls it a gift. Paul here understands that as a gift, the very definition of a gift was that it was given to him. He didn't take it. He didn't work for it. He didn't earn it. It was given to him by God. God's the one in control here. And so because of that, we, should, we have to notice Paul's attitude of humility. Paul sees himself as the very least of all the saints. That's what it says in verse 8. Paul wrote that he, that he sees himself as the very least of all saints. And this, this is not a false humility. He's not just saying that so he can, you know, boast about other things. He says this because he recognizes that the power given to him is not his. It's all God's. That's what it says in verse 7. Right? Verse 7, Paul says that he was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of whose power? God's. God's power. <coughs> Paul knew that none of this was possible without God first displaying his wondrous love and revealing his divine mystery to Paul. And no wonder Paul calls this whole thing a mystery. I mean, who in their right minds will choose someone like Paul? Someone like Paul who was persecuting the church, who was killing Christians for their faith who is publicly and proudly denying Christ, who would choose someone like that to be their representative, to be their messenger? And not even just messengers to his own people, messengers to the people he's supposed to hate, Gentiles. Who in the right man would do something like that? No wonder Paul calls this a mystery. This is something only God would do. And that's exactly what God did. Paul here is humbled by that. He's humbled by the fact that he was saved, commissioned to bring this gospel, this great treasure, 
what he calls unsearchable riches of Christ to the world. He sees no greater joy than to speak of Christ, to see people saved. And so then we see that Paul was faithful. He goes, he goes from persecuting the church to suffering for the church. And we know that in verse 13, as we saw already, that Paul is suffering. Right? He isn't just writing in prison as if he's getting like, you know, great status. He's living in a hotel room. He's house arrest. He, he's, he's suffering in prison. He's suffering. And yet, never once did Paul lose heart. Though he was humiliated, though he was publicly scorned, though he was rejected by his own people, Paul continued to move forward with the gospel because his faith and joy was found in Christ alone. And guys, today, as a church, we are given the same stewardship of the gospel. For instance, we're all given the Great Commission. And that Great Commission is placed upon our shoulders, placed upon your shoulders. If you call yourself a Christian, then you have to, then you, then you have to ask yourself, are, am I carrying out this task? It's a Great Commission. To carry the gospel to the lost, to the ends of the world. How do you view that task? How do you view it? Do you think of this task as if something you just have to obey? Something that you just have to do, but you don't really want to. Like it's a chore on your checklist. Do you realize that the Great Commission is a gift? It's a gift of grace given to us by God. It isn't a burden, it's a joy to do so. We do not deserve to be given such a task, and yet God entrusted us with this task. God gave us broken, weak, incapable sinners to carry his gospel. That's divine mystery. Why would God choose us? You see, this, be, this becomes a heart issue. The reason why the Great Commission is not lived out in our lives is because of, your, of our perception of the task itself. Do you see it as an obligation? Do you see the Word of God as just commandments? Or do you see it as a privilege? A privilege that you do not deserve to have. The third thing we'll see here is following the, the whole M's called the Majestic. We're speaking about God here. Speaking about God. God, the majestic, sovereign king, the one who's control of everything. He is the one acting throughout this passage. If you look carefully at this passage, if you guys know your grammar well, you'll see here that Paul here constantly refers to himself in a passive voice. Meaning all the verbs are mentioned here, he is not the one performing the action. He's the one receiving the action. Who's performing the action? God's performing the action. God's the one who's giving Paul the ministry, who's commissioning Paul to, to spread the gospel. God's the one who's commissioning everything. We see this in verse 2 and verse 7 as we covered earlier. Moreover, it is God who himself is in control of this mystery. 
this mystery again is his divine plan, his divine will. He is the one who controls how much he is to reveal. We are not to tell him that to show us everything. He's the one who gets to choose. It's his will. And it's his will that he chose to hid for the ages. And it's God chose to work this way. What we see here is that God is indeed sovereign over all things. Right? Paul reminds us of this. In verse 9, Paul includes this little phrase about God. It says that God who created all things. Why include that in there? Other than to remind us to the fact that God created us. He is sovereign. God is in control of this world. He created, he created this world with us. All things, including this plan of redemption, belongs to Him alone. And that's why we see in Romans 5 or 6, Paul says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That right time, that timing, is only right because God declared it to be right. In other words, Christ was not a divine accident. Jesus Christ did not just take matters up into his own hands. This is the triune God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, working together to bring salvation to all people. And they did it at this specific time. So it was God who worked to reveal this mystery to Paul. It was God who worked to reveal this mystery to the Ephesians church. And it is God who worked to reveal this mystery to you and to me. In other words, don't think for a second that this salvation you now have in Christ is about you. The salvation that you have now in Christ is about God. God who works all things for good. If anyone asks you how you were saved, you can only really point to one person. The big hand above us. We are just recipients of God's grace. God is the one who acts according to his wisdom. I mean, look at verse 10. Verse 10, we see here that this whole thing is all about God. Verse 10 starts, starts off with a little phrase that says, So that means this here's the reason. This is the purpose behind why God is doing all this. So that... Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. What is this verse saying? It's saying that we, along with all the saints of church history, we are all saved so that God's wisdom, God's mystery, God's divine plan might be put on public display for the angels and demons. In the heavenly places to see. Here we see that everything is about God's wisdom. That God, through the whole period of time, demonstrated his patience, his wrath, his perfection, his judgment, his grace, and his love all together to show everyone his wisdom. I mean, that's what the rulers and authorities in the heavenly place refer to. It refers to spiritual beings. God is, God is not saving us for our sake. God is saving us so He can show everyone just how powerful, how loving, 
yet how mysterious he is. God is the sovereign majestic one. God is the one who is king and no one can question his authority. The fourth thing that we see here in this passage is the Messiah, Jesus Christ. God revealed his wisdom through his beloved son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Jesus is the mediator. He is the key. He is the cornerstone of this whole mystery. Jesus Christ is the mystery itself. Without Christ, there is no revelation. There is no Paul. There is no church. Verse 11 all of this was according to the eternal pro- for the, to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. All the purposes of this divine mystery is made known in Christ. This is why Jesus came to die on the cross. That was planned since eternity past. This is not a plan B. This is, this is not a backup. This is the plan from the beginning. The promised offspring that will crush the serpent's head, Jesus Christ. The blessing that will bless the entire world, Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 19 verse 10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The lost were us, Jews and Gentiles, blinded by our sin, but now found in Christ, united as a church. It is through this purpose we gain blessings beyond all we can ask for. And what blessings? Oh, pretty much the first three chapters of Ephesians talks about these blessings that we gain in salvation. The blessings that God has bestowed upon us, bestowed upon us through Christ. But I want, what I want us to see here is this one phrase. One phrase in verse 8 that Paul says, the unsearchable riches of Christ. The unsearchable riches of Christ. I, I want us to see that this theme, the, this phrase, unsearchable riches, this theme appears over and over throughout this epistle. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, according to the riches of His grace. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And then Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7. That he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Over and over again, Paul describes these riches as something that's immeasurable, glorious, unsearchable. Just an overabundance of riches. I want us to consider this. Meditate upon that. Like truly meditate on what that means to be unsearchable. I started school, as many of you guys know. And I remember in the first week of school, my professor started teaching us from Psalm 145. Um, my professors are crazy. They, they will preach during their like, old sermon in class. It's great. At the same time, like, <laughs> like teach us. <laughs> um, but one thing stood out to me. I'm gonna read. I Psalm 145, verse three. He was really emphasizing this point. Psalm 145, verse three says this: "Great is the Lord, 
and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. I was just sitting there. I was just thinking about that. I was just thinking about, whoa, God is so big. He's so amazing. He's so grand, just infinite, beyond what I can wrap my mind around. And he's just so great, so vast. And yet, he feels unknowable. Yet, he feels overwhelming. Think for a moment. I mean, how many of you guys have gone to the beach, sat there, and just stared down into the ocean all the way to you cannot see the water anymore? You just see the horizon. And how many of you guys have sat there? And when you're doing that, just think about how vast the ocean is. And you just, you just see the waves coming upon, going back and forth, and how we're just little people playing in this giant pool of water. And then you think about just how mysterious the ocean is as well. That beneath the, the surface are miles of darkness and, and deep unknowns. Or how many of you guys have stared up to the stars and just looked at the thousands of stars that populate our, our night sky and just wonder about how we are just one small planet in the solar system of nine planets, I think it's still nine, might be eight, I don't know now, <laughs> um, and orbiting around this dying sun. All of this, just one small corner of the Milky Way, and the stars we're looking at, they're all galaxies. Thousands of galaxies, each one of them containing millions, billions of stars. How many of you guys just thought for a moment of how small and insignificant we are. How many of you guys have thought of all that and felt overwhelmed by it all? That's what it's like to think about God. Because He created all that by His voice. I mean, it's no wonder why Paul uses the word mystery here to describe this God. Right? We cannot wrap our mind around this. God indeed is unsearchable. This quality of God is so vast, so infinite, and, it, and it's just so amazing, and yet so scary. It puts us in awe. And yet Paul uses this adjective, this quality, to describe God's riches. The riches of Christ. And these riches are the blessings that we get. This is what we gain in Christ. We gain unsurmountable blessings in Him. So much so that we are just overwhelmed by it. Back in Ephesians, look at me in verse 12. Verse 12, we talking about Christ our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. 
Here we see that Christ is the key to inheriting these unsearchable riches. That we who were once Gentiles, sinners under, under God's wrath, denied access to the Lord's salvation, we now have access because of Christ. Because Jesus Christ paid the price and took upon himself God's wrath for us. Jesus Christ died for you, purchased you with his own blood, purchased you for your redemption. And God accepted Jesus' sacrifice, raised him up from the dead, so that along with Christ, as he raised him up, he also raises us up. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5 to 6 says exactly that. That even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. And raised us up with him. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's, we get access to the throne of God. To God himself. Where we can have these deep, unsearchable riches of God's mystery. This is our great reward that we get to have in Christ. And just, so to sum up this whole thing. What we have here. What we have here in verse, 12, in verse 2 to 12. In Ephesians chapter 3. Is this whole premise. Where we have this divine mystery of God being revealed to us. Through Jesus Christ. And because now we have this access to the unsearchable riches of God, verse 13 hits us. And Paul says, So then, therefore, because of all this, I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul is saying that his suffering is for our glory. Even though he's imprisoned, even though he's beaten, even though he's mocked, it doesn't matter. He, was, he knows that, he's being, that all that stuff is being done to him, that he's suffering because he preached the gospel of the mystery of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. And Paul did that because he believed in the mystery of Christ. He believed that in the mystery of Christ, Gentiles can now be brought into the fold of God as fellow heirs, as fellow members, as fellow partakers of this great God. And there is no greater news than this. Paul is saying, I'm suffering so that you can enjoy God. So the big idea for tonight is that God's divine mystery reveals Christ as our Lord and invites us to partake in the riches of His salvation. Therefore, be bold and confident in your faith through every trial of this earthly life. And we need this reminder all the time. We need this reminder to stay encouraged. Because we all know how easy it is for us to lose heart. Right? When we live in this world, it's so easy to lose heart. Doubt lurks right behind the corner all the time ready to bring us down, ready to discourage us, ready to make us question our faith, ready to make us ask whether or not this Christian life, this Christian thing is really worth it. And if we're not careful, doubt can stop us from living faithfully for God. 
Doubt can divide us. Doubt can make us feel discouraged, weak, and shameful. And that's why we have to remind ourselves that in the midst of our trials, we have an inheritance that's imperishable. That we have access to these insurmountable riches. That the suffering you face, that the suffering Paul went through, that the suffering Christ endured on the cross, all this suffering is for the sake of the church and for our glory. That's why Paul can say in Romans 8, 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Collegians, brothers, sisters, let's continue to seek out Christ. Let's continue to remember this mystery that was revealed for you, to you, for the joy of your salvation. This mystery, guys, isn't over because God's greatness is indeed insearchable. And so we get the joy to search Him out now and for all eternity. Let's rejoice in that, that we now have access to this, to continue to seek Him out and seek out His divine mystery. Let's rejoice in this and let us continue to invite more people to join us in this journey. If you never experienced this great joy of knowing Christ, let me tell you, let me invite you that you too can partake in this with us. That you can indeed experience God's riches as well. You just have to put your faith in Christ, repent of your sins, and ask for forgiveness. By the grace of God, the mystery of Christ will be revealed to you too. Your eyes will be open to see the great unsearchable riches of God. <laughs> so come join us in the church in delighting in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us before something happens to us. <laughs> let me let me let me go ahead and pray for us. I'm going to invite the worship team back up, and they'll lead us in one last song. Father, I thank you for Jesus Christ for sending Him to the cross to die for us, so that we might have great unsearchable riches in Him. What a promise we have then in that. What a promise we have in Christ. Oh Lord, thank You. Thank You for giving us this. Thank You for, for giving us Your grace. Because Lord, we don't deserve this. We don't deserve any of this. We don't deserve, we don't deserve even an ounce of Your riches, Lord. And yet, You give us all of Yourself so that we can spend our lives searching you out. May that be our delight. May that be our joy. May we just simply find peace and comfort and satisfaction in being able to do that. Thank you, God, for dying for our sins, so that we are now able to experience you to the fullest. So, Lord, let us then live out our lives faithfully. Let us live out our lives with joy in this. And let the world see our worship. Let the world see our praise. Let the world see Christ in us. Thank you, God, for this divine mystery. I lift these things up in your name. Amen.
That's last year. Because this time, when you respond, you've got to do this survey with this last song from the model when you're supposed to read. 